My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The text that, that, is, uh, that I've chosen is John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. Now that text in particular is probably familiar with most of us uh, because it's, it's a prayer that Jesus is offering. And in that prayer, he's asking for something specific and that prayer actually involves, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that He is the Son of God, if you have rendered your life obedient to Him, He's praying about you. He's asking you something. To ask, actually, actually asking that you participate with Him in something. So what He's asking is, He's asking the Father that they all may be one. And He's talking about those who have been following him, that is the apostles. He said, I'm praying for these, and I'm praying for all those that will believe on me through their word. Now that would be me. That would be you, because we believe on Jesus through the word that the apostles preached. So he's actually praying for us. I heard, and I have heard several times over the past few years, that Orchard Street believes in the power of prayer. Really believes in the power of prayer. That prayer will do things for you. Wonderful things. I had a friend who I knew for years and years and years. You may have known him too. Who I lost touch with for a little while. Basically, a personal touch. But we talked on the phone back and forth. And he said, Bill, he said, you know, he said, uh, I, I have I have some power with God through prayer. He said, I can I can I can get things done. And I was sick at the time. I had a serious, serious problem. And he said he's gonna pray for me and, and then he was gonna have the church pray for me. Now, when I think about someone saying, I have special privileges with God through prayer, I'm thinking about Jesus. Now Jesus said he was praying for me. And I know that if Jesus is praying for me, He's got some power in that prayer. There's power in His prayer. So He's asking for something. And He's asking, he's asking His Father that we all may be one, the people He's praying about, that we may be one, He said, so that the world will believe that you sent me. So that the world will know that you sent me. These two things. Now, what Jesus is saying is, I want you, that I'm, those who I'm praying for, I want you to be of such a nature that when the world looks at you, the people who believe in Jesus through His Word, when, when, you, when the world looks at you, they will know that I came from the Father. They will know, they will believe in me, Jesus said. So he's asking them, he's asking them specifically. He's asking the Father specifically so that those who believe in him, in some way, through their character, through the way they behave themselves, that in some way, we, if I'm going to include myself in that, the ones he's talking about, that we will in some way show that God sent Jesus to this earth. And that the world can believe that he sent them to the earth. So now then the onus is on me. Jesus prayed for me. He said, okay, Bill, I want you to show the world, you and everybody else that hears my word, I want you all to get together, and I want you to show the world that the Father sent me. Well, that's a pretty big order, isn't it? How do we show people that Jesus was sent to this earth and that the Father sent him. How do we show anybody that? 
Well, someone said, well, you've got to show them who you are. Show them who you are. Um, maybe we'll wear a religious costume. Maybe we'll wear something so that when the world looks at us, they'll say, hey, I know who these people are. Maybe we'll wear a black suit, white shirt, flat-brimmed hat. Maybe we'll wear a white collar around our neck. Maybe we'll wear, as for women, we'll wear a bonnet, a shawl, a burqa. We'll wear something that distinguishes us from everybody else in the world and say, hey, I know who these people are. The problem is, when we try to wear a costume to show who we are, we're actually showing who we are. We're not showing who God is. We're not convincing anyone that God sent Jesus. That doesn't, that doesn't tell us anything. Well, okay. Why don't, we, why don't we use a certain language? If we all speak the same language, maybe we all speak Greek. So everybody speaks Greek can show that God sent Jesus from to this earth. I don't think that would do it, would it? All speak Latin. All speak Old English, Shakespearean English, these and thou's. That won't show anybody anything, will it? That's what Jesus is saying. I want them to do something. Be one. Be one. To do something that will show the world that I sent you. That he sent me. Well, maybe let's just live in the same area. We'll, we'll go all, all live in the same borough in New York City. They'll say, oh, we know these people. We know who they are. We know what they believe. We know how they act. We know that they're exclusive, that they're, they're together. We know that. But does that tell them anything about Jesus? Does that tell the world that God sent Jesus? Again, you see the problem. Well, we'll move off to, to Wyoming maybe or Texas or some other state and we'll form a commune. Or maybe we'll go down to Monterey, California and we'll, we'll, we'll form a commune and we'll all be together there and everybody will see and know. And maybe like Jimmy Jones, remember back in the 1960s, when he took everybody to Jonestown down in Guyana, South America. So we'll just make sure all these people... We can distinguish them and say, okay, they're, they're one. They're all together. They're one. But what are they showing? Now, that's a sad story, of course, with a sad ending. That's the issue. Well, okay, maybe if every time I do something good, I, I point my finger up to heaven and say, God did this for me. Everybody then raises their arms when they pray. Maybe that'll show the world. That God sent Jesus. Maybe if we all wear a medallion around our neck. Or earrings with crosses and so forth. Maybe we all put tattoos on our arms. Maybe we all wear a baseball cap with the logo of Jesus. Or a t-shirt or whatever. Is this the way we're one and show the world that God sent Jesus to this earth? You see our problem? I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm just saying that our, our efforts at this are sometimes weak and feeble and, and will not accomplish what we're trying to do. Jesus said, I want them to be one so that when the world looks at them, they will know that you sent me. They will believe that you sent me. All right. So how can I do that? How did that happen? Let's take a look. There was a noble beginning of this. Jesus offered the prayer. And then, after Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, and I'd like for you to pick up your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Just turn to chapter 1 in Acts. And let's see if we can discover how the world can see that God sent Jesus by seeing his people as one. As one. That's what he asked, that's what he asked for, that they all might be one. As you are in me, he said. Now keep that phrase in mind. He didn't say just they may be one. He said, I want them to be one like you are in me. The way the Father and Son were one, that's what he said, I want them to be. Just like that. I want them to be just like that. But boy, that's tricky after a while. You begin to look at this, you say, well, there's more to this text than I thought there was. There's more to this prayer than I thought there was. Okay, let's see what it is. So in Acts chapter 1, 
the apostles are all, had all gathered together after the resurrection of Jesus. And he had, he had been with them for 40 days. And then they went back to the city of Jerusalem. And there was a big feast coming up. And I, I'm not sure that everybody is really aware of how big this, this situation was. But there was a big feast coming up called the Pentecost. And there were people in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, from uh, all over the world. They had gotten wind of the fact that this Jesus of Nazareth had been in the city and around the city and in the area of Jerusalem and Judea for three and a half years. And they, the world was kind of sh- shuddering and shaking and shivering with excitement that something was going to happen. And they were all there. They were there from everywhere. Fifteen nations are mentioned in chapter 2 of Acts that were there. And they were all in this area called the temple area in the city of Jerusalem. And here in amongst, amidst all this were these with the apostles. The twelve, actually they had replaced one of them. There were only eleven. Of course, Judas Iscariot had, had uh, perished. So they, they replaced him with Matthias. So there were twelve. Then the text says in chapter 2, at verse, in chapter two of Acts, It says that they were all gathered together in one place, in one accord. Chapter 1 tells us that there were 120 of them, 120 people. Now, we keep that in mind. 120 of these folks, including the apostles. And they were waiting in the city of Jerusalem because Jesus said, you go there and wait until the Spirit of truth is coming, until you receive the promise of the Spirit which the Father has promised you. And when they were there, they were gathered together in an upper room. There must have been a big room. It was a big room just to keep 12 people in, but there were probably 120 people together at that time. And in that room, they were waiting. And when the day of Pentecost, it says, was fully come, then the Holy Spirit fell upon the 12 apostles. And there appeared unto them... Like, like a tongues under, like under fire, on sitting on each one of the apostles. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what, what I'd like for you to do with me is go back to this time. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to take another view of this. Let's take, a, let's take a, an objective view. Let's say we're just watching what's going on. We're not part of it. We're just going to watch it. So what we're seeing to start with in the city of Jerusalem is thousands and thousands of pilgrims who have come to that city anticipating something good is going to happen. The day of Pentecost was the 50th day. That's where the word Pentecost comes from. After the Feast of Weeks, seven Sabbaths of weeks, which was 490 days. Not 409 days, 49 weeks. And the next day was the 50th day. Anyway, here you have a feast, a high feast. And everybody's in anticipation of something. And all of a sudden you have all these teeming multitudes all around the courtyard just filling this place up. Try to imagine. Maybe you've seen pictures of the Pope of Rome standing out on a balcony over the... Basilica, the St. Peter's Basilica in the yard out in the front. Just thousands of people there. Now that's what you can imagine this was. Think about it. Thousands of folks there. And every, every, everything going on you can imagine. People were happy. It's, it wasn't a Mardi Gras, but it was a happy time. People were not rioting and they were not going through the the different things, the orgies and so forth that you find in the Mardi Gras in in New Orleans. But it was that atmosphere of of party. Something good is going to happen. And in the midst of this, these 12 men stand up different places in this mob and begin to preach about Jesus all around. And those who hear in their own tongue will be attracted to this man that's talking to them. If there were people there from Egypt, the guy speaking Egyptian, he's going to attract these people. And so it was. Each of them was speaking a different language. Peter finally stood up and got everybody's attention. Now, I'm not sure if everybody then could understand what Peter was saying. He was speaking to the Hebrews, 
And it may very well have been that God was allowing people who were hearing him to understand in their language what he was saying. But he got up and he said, he said, I, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And he did. He said, this same Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He said, he's, he's made in chapter 2 at verse 22, he said that he is, he is uh, by his Father, he has shown, and let me read the text, it slipped my mind just a minute. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, you yourselves also know. Then he told them that they had crucified him. Then he said he has made him the Christ, the same, same Jesus that you have crucified. He's made him the Lord and King. And at that point, when they heard the story, they, they were pricked in their hearts and said, Men and brethren, what must we do? So Peter is preaching a sermon, and all of a sudden, they realize that they're guilty and they need to have some relief. And he said, Repent, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the forgiveness of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, or remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it tells us that there were 3,000 people at that point who were baptized, who responded to that. Now, we're looking at this crowd, and we're seeing Peter preach, and we're seeing 3,000 people decide they want to be baptized. Now, how did that happen? Well, we already said there were about 120 fellows that were with them before. They were together with the apostles, 120 people, including the apostles. So if ever one of them baptized 25, they'd get it done pretty quick. That's how many, how many it would take. But probably what happened was they started baptizing each other as they went through. And so pretty soon, 3,000 of them had been baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, that's the beginning. That's the noble beginning. Now then, these are the people. I'm, I'm excluding myself from this right now and excluding you. These are the people that Jesus was praying for. He said, I want them, this 3,000, I want them to be one and to show the world that God has sent me, that the Father sent me. I want them to believe that. Okay, how did this group do that? How did these people do that? Well, in Acts chapter 2, and at verse 42, it says, they, after they had gladly received His Word, they were baptized. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. Now, here's what these people did. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. All of a sudden, there were Bible studies going on all over the area with 3,000 students. People hearing the Word of God and studying the Word of God and learning the Word of God. The apostles teaching some and the disciples teaching others. There was teaching going on all over that area. Excitement. Now, if you have never been involved in Bible classes where people are really hungering and thirsting after Word and wanting to know what God wants them to do, if you've never felt that excitement, you've missed something. You've missed it. These people were dying to get into the kingdom. They wanted to know. They wanted to hear what God had to say to them and for them. And they were listening. They were studying the Bible. And it says they were continuing in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So here this group, what are they doing? They're in fellowship. What does that mean? Fellowship means they were jointly participating with them. They're helping. So somebody heard this. They went up and said, I, I heard him say this. He went over and told somebody else what he'd heard him say. And they were participating 
in the Bible studies. They were learning. Maybe one by one, one or two of them ran out and said, hey, I can get us some scrolls. We can come back because the apostles were talking about these prophets talking about these things. And so they ran home and got their scrolls and came back. They were studying God's Word. They were thinking about God's Word and they were helping. And maybe someone said, hey, here's a lady that needs a place to sit. I'll go get her something to sit on so she can hear it and study. And another one said, oh, this one's in the sun and it looks like they're getting stroke. I'll get them something to keep to keep the sun off of them. Everybody was active. They were active. They're doing it. They were studying God's word and they were listening and they were hearing and they were excited about it. And I'm thinking, you know, Lord, that may be what you're asking them to do. When he said that they may be one, I'm thinking, well, yeah. Well, look what they're doing. And then it says they were also breaking a bread. They were breaking bread. Well, they started out at 9 o'clock in the morning. And so it's, it, the day is wearing on. And they're hearing and they're baptizing and they're, they're doing all this and they're all getting excited and they're all sharing the information they have. And all of a sudden it says, somebody says, hey, I'm getting hungry. I'm getting hungry. And somebody else says, well, you know what? I, we, brought a, we brought a sack lunch. We'll share that with you. Somebody else says, well, we have some over here. I've got some bread over here. Somebody else says, I'm going to run home and get something because we live close by and I'll get some bread and cheese and, and milk and so I'll be back just as soon as I can. And so they began to break bread together. They began to eat together. What they were doing was sharing what they had. And I'm thinking, hey, sounds like this is what the Lord asked them to do. Sounds like this is what they were doing. They're sharing, they're giving what they had. And it says, and in prayers. So they're probably hearing somebody starting up a prayer over here of thanksgiving. And maybe somebody over here is praying again. And maybe people in their group is praying. And all of a sudden this is just going on. What a wonderful time that was for these folks. What a great time it was. And I'm thinking that they might be one. That the world might believe that you sent me. And so I'm looking at that scene and I'm saying, I think God's involved in this. I think Jesus is involved in this. I think he's got this thing going. Well, let's read on. It says, Fear came upon every soul, verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed, here we are, the believers, were together and had all things common. You know what happened? It says, Some of them sold their possessions and goods, parted to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The world was looking on and saying, look at what's going on with these folks. You know, there are people who live close by, obviously. People who live there. And then there were others who came, who've come from all over the world. They were there. Now the folks that lived close by were probably, probably saying, Hey, I know you're hungry. Just, why don't you all come home and eat with me? That, that's exactly what would have happened. Others said, Well, I don't have a house big enough, but I'm going to go home and get all I have and bring it back and we'll eat together. I'll give you what I can. And others maybe have said, You know, this, this, is, this thing getting a little bigger than just a few of us. What I'm going to do I've got some land. Give me a chance and I'm going to go sell some of this property and I'll get enough money to feed a lot of you. That's a wonderful thing about faith in Jesus Christ. These people were willing to give everything they had to take care of the needs there involved with the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was among them. So the world looks on and says, what's going on? And I'm saying, well, we've got a prayer being answered here. The prayer of the Lord is being answered right here in front of our eyes. He said that they all might be one, as you are in me, Father, and I in you. What did Jesus do when people got hungry? He said, send them home. No, he didn't. Jesus said, who's got something to eat here? And the little boy came up and said, well, I've got some fishes and a couple of loaves. That happened twice. So here these people were. You think Jesus was among them? 
They were sharing everything they had. Now, this was not a commune. Some people get, begin to look at this and say, well, what happens is, when, when you want to be one in Christ and one with the people of Christ, you've got to sell everything you have. You've got to take everything you've got. You don't have to sell it necessarily, but you've got to dump it in one big pot, and then somebody will distribute that to you and everybody else. Now, that's not what was going on here. It says those that had land that belonged to them, they took that and they sold it and they brought it to help alleviate the need of the people at that time which were trying to stay there and hear the word of God and, and stay in that, that great big Bible study. Now, they, uh, they satisfied those needs for a while, but they, they still needed to, to maintain that, that same impetus. They were still moving forward with the gospel. And so they were continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and they were breaking bread from house to house. They were probably visiting different homes, but also they were trying to take care of needs by bringing some of this money together and uh, putting it at the apostles' feet and letting them make a distribution to help others, to help take care of the need. Now, if we, if we jump over to chapter 4 of Acts, at verse 32, and here it really gets enlightening. It says, the multitude of them that believed, look at this, were of one heart and one soul. And I'm thinking, what did you ask for, Lord? He said, that they might be one. That they might be one. That the world may believe that you have sent me. It says, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And great power with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Great grace upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the prices of the things that were sold, and, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, that's obviously, it looks like communism. It looks like a commune, but it wasn't a commune. Because these people, continued, these people had control of their own possessions. They sold them and brought what they sold them for and laid it down at the apostles' feet. They didn't, they didn't dip into that treasury themselves, but they brought it and put it into the treasury. And we know that because in, in chapter 5 of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira were, was a couple that was brought to light. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land and said they're going to bring the money and, and put it down at the apostles' feet and help alleviate this need. What, what was the need? Everybody was staying there, preaching all day, dinner on the grounds. That's where they, they were staying there. They weren't going home. They couldn't go home. Some of them lived thousands of miles away. Some of them, if some of them lived 50 miles away, they couldn't go home and come back overnight. It was, it was a long journey. People were staying there. They were excited about the gospel. They were excited about the Lord. They were excited about the kingdom. They were there to hear. They were there to know. They wanted to be part of this great movement that was coming over the whole earth. So, they needed things. They needed to eat. That's all they needed. They needed to eat. That was it. Just eat. So, how did they do it? Well, somebody said, I've got a piece of land. I'll sell it. I'll bring it. And here Ananias said, I've got something. Ananias and Sapphira both. And he said, I'll go sell this and bring it back. And Peter said, while you had it in your possession, it was your own. It wasn't the community's. He said it was yours. And when you sold it, it was in your own power. You, it was still wasn't the community's. It wasn't until you decided to give it that it fell into the community. Now, that tells us that what people were doing was responding to the need. Here these people were giving what they had, selling what they had, to make sure that what was going on, the preaching of the gospel, and people were hearing it and being saved hourly, that this could go on. They didn't have to go home. They could stay there. I don't know where they spent the night. They probably spent the night with their brothers and sisters that they had just made in Jesus Christ. But the world was looking at this and saying, what, 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 what's happening? <laughs> and I'm saying, I think the prayer of our Lord is being answered. I think that's the power of prayer. They were being one. 
involved in this, of course, and several things happened. Peter and John were taken into custody. When they got back, the whole group had gotten together in one house. Most of them could and prayed. They, they were just, they were all, they were caught up in this. They were involved in this. And then in chapter 5, the last, last verse of chapter 5 says, Daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Strangers, pilgrims, citizens, local, those from afar off, they were all together doing this. And in the midst of this, it tells me that there was a problem with the widows. Now the problem was, the Grecian widows, apparently they were in one section of this area, thousands of people now. Remember, it wasn't just 100 or 200 people, it was several thousand. As a matter of fact, there were 3,000 started out the day of Pentecost, and later on 5,000 priests obeyed the gospel. That's 8,000 people minimum. Here they were, and they were trying to feed these folks and teach them God's Word. That's a wonderful scene. And people were reaching in and saying, Hey, I've got this. I'll take care of this. I've got some land. I'll get it. I'll, we'll, we'll make sure that they eat. And so they were bringing that money and saying, Here, there's only one way, know how to, way we know how to do this. We need to make sure, the apostles said this, we may need to make sure that we have a place where we can distribute this and people can get what they need while they're here hearing the Word of God. So, but, here are some Grecian widows that didn't have the capacity to get to where they could be taken care of. Let me tell you something about widows, about elderly women, about elderly women with faith. <laughs> they are the backbone of believers, I believe. They're the backbone. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, uh, being taken care of during the wartime by my grandmother, called her Mamma. And she took me every Sunday morning to church. We didn't go to Bible school because they didn't believe in Bible school where she went. We went to church every Sunday. Then when I grew up and graduated from high school and decided to go off to college and go to California and then decided to get married and then I decided to preach, and I'd been gone for a long time from home, and Mamma had, uh, she had lost her husband about the time I uh, got married, and I'd been preaching for several years, and I was back preaching a meeting, what we called a meeting, a protracted meeting, in, in a little town north of Amarillo, about 80 miles. She couldn't come. But she had never heard me preach, and she was so proud of me. She'd never heard me preach. So she, she, got, she didn't even have a telephone, as a matter of fact. She uh, got a hold of my cousin, and my cousin called and asked. She wanted to ask if I would come and preach for her. Just her. Well... I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Anyway, I got there, and she was there. She lived in a little uh, house. Her and another woman lived by themselves. And she had four or five of her friends there to hear me preach the gospel. She was faithful to God. Here were these Grecian widows. They were faithful to God, but they didn't have any way to sustain themselves. And so the apostles said, hey, we've got to take care of this. So they took they took seven men, and they said, here, you, you make sure that you, we get a distribution to everybody, and don't, don't forget these widows. And he didn't. They didn't. They took care of them. Well, that was the beginning. It didn't stay long. Did, they didn't stay long in the city of Jerusalem, because by and by a, a persecution arose, and a fellow by the name of Saul decided he would persecute the church. And so he took these people that we're looking at that uh, I believe were fulfilling the prayer that Jesus had made to his Father that they might be one. They were together. They were one. They were taking care of each other. They were hearing the gospel preached. They were in Bible studies. They, they were uh, 
sharing the load. They're sharing the work. They were eating together. They were having their meals together. And they were praying together. Well, Saul came along and he said, I'll stop that. And so he, he, uh, he helped take care of uh, Stephen, who was preaching the gospel. He helped, he helped the fellows that were going to kill him, stone him. He helped them. And they did. And he held their coats. And then in chapter 8, it says that Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. And he was hailing men and women, and he was uh, committing them to prison. He was, it said, the text says in chapter 8 and verse 3 of Acts that, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, hailing, entering into our house, and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. And then what happened was, these fellows went out preaching the gospel. It's like a prairie fire. A prairie fire had started. A fire in the hearts of people that had been ignited by faith in Jesus Christ was burning. And here the fellows like Saul and the high priest were trying to stomp it out. And they were running these folks away and trying to get them out of there and trying to persecute them. And you know what they did? They went off with their firebrands and they started fires for Jesus everywhere they went. They started the fire again. The fire in the hearts of people about Jesus. And they were continuing to preach. And Saul knew that. He said, this didn't stop it. This didn't, this didn't keep them where I wanted them. So these people just kept going. They kept preaching about Jesus and kept telling the world about Jesus. And so Saul said, hey, I'll, I'll track them down. I'll go get them. So he, he, uh, he got letters. In chapter 9 of the book of Acts, he went to the uh, priest. He says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest and uh, desired of him that, that uh, he could have letters going to Damascus to the synagogue that if he found any of this way, he might bring them bound back to the city, to Jerusalem. Well, we know the story. Saul was on his way to Damascus, and he was, he was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was blinded, and then he was told that he needed to stop that. He needed to believe in the, in the Lord Jesus, and he needed to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, which he did. And he was, he was baptized. Now, the question in my mind is, how would Saul find the people that he was going to look for? How would he, how would he run across them? So here were the Christians all gathered together. They were in a big bunch in the city of Jerusalem. And, and you could see them there and you could see what they were doing. So now then, how would Saul find them where he went, when he went to Damascus? It said he would, he would go look for anybody that was of that way. Now, Christians weren't called Christians until a time later in history, in the city of Antioch, in chapter 11, verse 26 of Acts, the disciples are called Christians first at Antioch. And then later on, Peter said, don't let anybody suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as a busybody in other men's matters, but if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now that's First Peter 4, verse 15 and 16. But these people were still there and they were around and they, now then we've, we've gone from a, a local area where we could see them and they've been all scattered abroad now. Where are they? And what do they look like now? We saw them in the city of Jerusalem and we can say, oh, oh, ha, ha. There's the fulfillment of that prayer of Jesus. They were one. They were continuing steadfast in the apostles' doctrine in his fellowship and breaking bread and in prayer. But they're gone. Where'd they go? They went everywhere. They went everywhere with the gospel. And wherever they preached the gospel, people who believed in Jesus Christ followed what these individuals were teaching about Jesus. Now, there's not too many books in the New Testament that give us a, a detailed outlook of who these people were and what they did. But we do know some things. We do know that, that there were Christians all over the civilized world at that time. And we do know that they met on Sundays. Did you know that? We know they did. They would get together. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Paul went to the city of Troas on his third missionary journey. And when he, it said, he waited there. He waited about eight days because he knew that the disciples were going to come together to break bread. And when they did, that's in verse 7, 
When they did, then he preached to them and continued to speak until almost midnight. So he knew they were coming together. We also know that the writer of the book of Hebrews said, Don't forsake the assembling yourselves together, some is, as the manner of some, but exhort one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.25 So people were assembling, and they were getting together, and they were contributing their money to help the poor. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, On the first day of the week when you get there, come together, let everyone lay by in store that there be no gatherings when I come, Paul said. And we also know that they, they regularly came together, and we find the book of Corinthians is the one that tells us more about this than any other book in the New Testament. We do know that they came together for a meal. Every Sunday they had a meal. Came together for a meal. And the people that came together, they came together in the evening. It's called dinner. They came together for the meal, and it was all for the benefit of those who didn't have anything, just like it in the beginning of the church. People that didn't have anything were fed anyway. Here, people who had access to food, they brought it. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the text tells us that they, that they were having a meal. And the meal was being provided by those who had the wherewithal to provide it. Now, everybody in that day and age did not have the disposable time or income to participate in something like this in a, in a contributive fashion. But those who had the distributable, distributable income and disposable income and time could bring what they had to have for the meal. And then those who didn't have anything could come and enjoy that meal. And during that meal, they could remember Jesus Christ. They did. Well, some of them decided that, that it was something uh, that was not quite as important as they it should have been. They started eating and drinking before the folks came that really needed to eat and drink. So after getting the meal all ready to go, the people that really needed it were the servants. They had to make sure that everything was done in their household. Sunday was not a day off. Sunday was a work day. First day of the week. So they worked until night, till the sun fell. They took care of their masters, they took care of their stock, they took care of the jobs, the responsibilities. Then they could hustle over and meet with the brothers and sisters in Christ at the table. They could meet. They could be fed. But some that brought the food decided they didn't want to wait. So they went ahead and started eating before those could make it and had other responsibilities could be there that really needed to be fed. And Paul said, when you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, this is not to come together for that reason. He said, for eating, every one of you taketh his own supper before the other. One is drunken and one is full, one is empty. Well, he said, uh, this, this is not right. He said, uh, as a matter of fact, he, he, he went ahead and discussed this Verse 17 to almost the end of the chapter, he discussed this and, and talking about how the meal was designed also that during that meal, someone was going to break the bread. And when they broke the bread, then that would remind them of Jesus who gave his body for them. And then at the conclusion of the meal, they were to take the fruit of the vine and all hold the glasses up and say this, don't you remember? This is Jesus. He made all this possible for us. This is his blood shed for you. And those who abused that, he said, were in danger of damnation. Okay. These people, in 1 Corinthians tells us about these people that we, we, we ran across them to start with in Acts. Very early in the beginning of the, of the kingdom. So here they were. And as I'm looking at them, and I'm, I'm way back here as a spectator, I'm saying, I can really see the answer to the prayer of Jesus in these people. I can see, I know who's working among them. I can see what they were doing. I can see what kind of people they were. I can see how they were changing. I can see this. And I can know that God sent Jesus to, to do all of this. Now then when we get to 1 Corinthians and we get to the church in Corinth, we, we begin to see that the, these things were going on to these folks too. So it says, uh, we're, we're told that they, they came together 
For one thing, they came together to study or to, to teach. First Corinthians chapter 14, and uh, I, I think at verse 26 says they came together to pray. Verse 23 says they came together to study. And of course, we already know that they came together to have a meal. So they were all coming together. Now, this, this, this looks like a good situation. It looks like they were on the right track to some degree. They're having some problems with the, what we call the Lord's Supper. And as we study through the New Testament, we run across a lot of different Christians who are doing a lot of good things. But what we keep in mind is that Jesus is saying, I want you to be one like my Father and I are one. That's what I want. And then I want the world to be able to see that and to know that the Father sent me. That's all he said. So we should be able to see, and we did see at the very beginning, we did see this going on. But the shame. Some of the believers lost their concept of what they started out with in the book of Acts. Lost concept. They said, we don't really have to do that. That's not, that's not something that we, we, we need to do. said, as a matter of fact, we may go our different ways. Some, as a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, I, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you to the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Some of them quit studying God's word and were talking about myths and and." Uh, and genealogies and so forth, things like that. They were saying, well, we, we don't have to be that concerned with the truth of the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, uh, verse 10, he said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Well, weren't they talking the same thing? Weren't they talking about Jesus? What was going on? He said, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. It has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you, and this I partly believe. Some are saying, every one of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? All of a sudden, they're not one anymore. Here are people that are not one. They're saying, well, I don't necessarily have to be with you. I can be with somebody else. And you know, when we start using different names to identify ourselves, we start dividing and getting apart from one another. I believe something different. I, here, I, I'm going to go after this fellow, and I'm going to go after this fellow. John said, little children, it's the last time you've heard that the Antichrist will come. They went out from us because they were not of us. 1 John 2, verse 8, 18 and 19. Paul warned Timothy, he said, Preach the word. Be in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap for themselves teachers having itching ears and shall be turned from the truth unto fables. The shame of it all. Oh, it had, what a good start it had. What a, what a good motive it had. Did you know, it just it started there and it's still going. There are 41,000 different groups calling themselves Christians that are not related to one another today in the world. 41,000. Not together. They don't study together. We don't study together. We don't sing together. We don't pray together. We don't remember the Lord together. Because we're not one. That's a shame. Division among believers are, are created by differing names and practices. Sometimes it's a man's name. And there, I, don't want to, I don't want to say anything that would be embarrassing to one, anyone, but, but when you call yourself by a man's name, instead of by the name of Jesus Christ, there's no other name given unto heaven, whereby we must be saved, Acts 4 verse 12, than the name of Jesus that's what Paul said. I wasn't, I wasn't crucified for you. You weren't baptized in my name. You shouldn't be divided. And there were just a few of them that that time was going on. 41,000 now. So now we say, well, 
can't we can't we can't we can't we be together? Can't we answer the prayer? Jesus said that they all might be one. Like you and I are one, Father. The way the Father and Son are one is what he said, I want you to be. You to be. Why? So the world will believe that you sent me. So what happens when there's 41,000 different groups saying, no, I'm the one, I'm the one, we're all the one? Then the world's not going to believe anything, are they? The world's going to look back and, and, uh, and scoff and scorn the people who believe that Jesus is the Christ. They're going to say, did he create this mess? No, he didn't. By the formulation of creeds, encyclicals, catechisms, disciplines, all of these things tell me, here's what you believe if you want to be one of these. What you want to be one of these. If you want to be part of this group, you believe this. What if I just want to believe the gospel? What if that's all I want to believe is what Jesus said? I just want to believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus Christ died on Calvary and He rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And this, this Bible tells me that. And I can, I can agree with you about that, I think. Can't we? Jesus said, please, Father, help them be one. Help them be one. Peculiar practices that are not in the Bible but are unique to a certain group, that divides. This, the situation that took place in Acts is the ideal. And what we're seeing today is the shame. The shame of division. What we can have, however, is the glory. We can have the glory. We can be exactly what Jesus wants us to be. We can be one. I'll tell you what, I'm going to make an offer. I want to stand with you on the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I believe that He rose from the dead on the third day because it's all here in this book. And I'd like to have a Bible study about that. That's part of it. And as a matter of fact, if, if you have some problems in your life, I'd like to share those. I can help, maybe. Even in my age, my condition, sometimes I can help. If, if we need something, maybe we can pull our resources and get it. If we're going to study God's Word, if we're going to fellowship with Him, going to be with Him, I, I can do that. And whatever name we're going to call ourselves, I think I better call myself a Bible name. Somebody says, what are you? Catholic, Protestant, or Jew? I'm just a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I can, I can wear that name, I think, and I, I think that anyone who believes in God and, and reads the New Testament can agree to the same thing. And the creed, it's here on the pages of inspiration, and we can find it together. The glory is, my friend, you can do it. You can help answer the prayer of Jesus that we may all be one. You can do it. God help you.